Produced by Podcast Architects. And so when you have observed this, like, you know, people not wanting to hold one hold others accountable, do you think that it's more of a situation where there's just not a lot of clarity and agreement about what it is that we you know was trying to be accomplished in the first place or something where sure that's that's yeah. super common yeah no 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 vision document no planning document no, no nothing no central set of expectation everybody agrees on um when i got on the board at texas southern i i literally filled out a vto for the university because they didn't have one they didn't have anything like it and then I chopped it down to make it work for university, turned it into a four-year picture instead of three years. I had to modify it a good bit. And then I brought it up for a vote. <laughs> I said, and this, I was like, we all have to agree on what we want in one year, four year, and 10 years. And we got to agree on our values. We didn't have a set of values that we really used or talked about. And so we turned it into an acronym, TSU Proud, and have it designed and had to put in banners everywhere. And we talk about those values and what they mean and you know, it was, it's the same thing. So definitely lack of alignment. Usually it's just a whole bunch of assumptions, assumptions from the leaders on that their people know what they want, even though they never articulated it clearly or put it in writing and assumptions from people below and what the leaders want, even though it was never communicated to them. There's just a whole mess load of assumptions that take place. And then the reality is that the process of having difficult conversations is too painful for most people. And so they avoid it and they either delegate it to others or they say, it's not worth it. I hope, I think they'll just get the message. I'm going to be passive aggressive to them and they're going to get the message rather than just giving them a call and say, it's time to talk. Here's what's going wrong. Yeah. It's a, do you find that, is this that kind of attitude? Is that something that you, have just always come by naturally where it's just like, Hey, we got a problem. Let's sit down and talk about it. Or do you feel that your experience of being an entrepreneur and running on EOS, you know, who that encourages, you know, open and honest, do you, do you feel like that's built on, uh, helped you in that evolution? So, so I'm not going to get into all the aspects of my personality type because I always feel it's very egotistical <laughs> to just sit there and talk about your personality type. But I will say that mine, cause I've been tested on, DISC and mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs and Predictive Index and Colby. I've done all of them, yeah. right? Uh, I crave confrontation, and I tend to confront things head-on because I enjoy it. So are you like an, are you an Enneagram 8, a challenger? Is that I'm an Enneagram 8. Yeah. In fact, yeah. so Enneagram, I think, is actually my favorite one of all of them. Really? Um, I love Enneagram and uh, has given me the most pragmatic coaching tips of all the tests I've done. Mm -hmm. Um, as a company, we use Predictive Index because it's designed well for businesses. But as an individual with my own coach, I use Enneagram. Yeah. And I am I am a hard eight. <laughs> hard eight. Hard eight, baby. <laughs> Love it. So, uh, which, means I, which means I crave confrontation. So the reality is that I have to tone that down mm -hmm. um, because it, it is the, the joy is in the battle for me. So what is the, what is the best and worst – what is your favorite and least favorite as, uh, aspect of that particular personality trait of yours that you really like? <laughs> well, you know, it, it leads to being very decisive and mm -hmm. setting a bold vision and not being afraid to step out there, mm -hmm. right? And 
when you look at, at so many groups that I end up volunteering for or being part of or getting elected to or appointed to, you end up you end up being willing to serve in areas that often are not fun or popular so you can make it a big impact. So that's that's really pleasant. So and it doesn't bother me or make me uncomfortable to to uh, take a stand or set a vision or to chase after it. Um, the the downside to that because everybody is a package deal, right? Salespeople are a package deal, and they they have great benefits and horrible downsides. Just like engineers who are building your product have great benefits and some and some horrible downsides. Everybody has some horrible downsides. It's just whether they mitigate it or not. And you know, with a with an with an Enneagram eight or a you know ENTP, you know <laughs> whichever whichever personality system you want to look for, there's you leave some carnage in the wake, you know, and you feel really bad about it. Because you, uh, if you're not managing your uh, your expectations for other people and for outcomes and the way that you respond, uh, I think probably the biggest downside to any one of those personality types, whether it's ENTJ, NTP, you know, the 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 challenger, the Enneagram Eight challenger, is that you've got to really be careful um, how you respond for body language and facial expressions, um, tone of voice. And, um, you know, we tend to interrupt people. We tend to cut people off. You know, there's all those things are not good for building relationships and having friends and, you know, winning hearts and minds. And, and life is infinitely more complex um, if you burn relationships and don't win hearts and minds. You have to really fight the battle up the hill a lot harder than if you had taken the time to earn trust and respect and win hearts and minds. You can... You can still use the same decisiveness and drive, uh, but sugarcoat it a little bit better and and um, and get th- get more things done. Well, you know, another thing that's not good for you know winning hearts and minds is beating around the bush. And I think that you know a lot of you know I, I'm I am not personally a challenger myself. Some of my favorite people are, but it's like wouldn't you rather have somebody just be direct with you and, and like address the elephant in the room rather than letting it linger. And, you know, that's another thing too, about, uh, that I think as long as there's love there. Yeah, sure. And I mean, and it takes, and, and you have to prove that for sure. And you have to demonstrate that over and over again, that it is coming from a place of love, you know, but another one of our little EOS isms, if you run the system is, you know, thou shalt choose short-term pain and suffering. And, yep. you know, there's, you know, often, yeah, that really difficult conversation that is going to require some very direct communication is not easy. It's not fun, but it's like, isn't that better than just living with, you know, the elephant in the room for the, you know, for however long it takes before this problem just magically goes away? I mean, spoiler alert, it's not going to magically go away, you know, or somebody finally just drags it out of people. So, I, you know, God bless the challengers, man. <laughs> You know, I'm in a software business, mm-hmm. and uh, we build software for insurance companies. And I, we do both custom dev, and we have our own products. So we sell widgets and time. And um, for the clients that I sell time to, I get very involved in their business and get to know the executives well and the teams well. And we put together large teams and do cool stuff. Um, but I also get to see their team meetings. And um, there's definitely times when I've really tried hard to introduce elements of EOS because. Um, because usually it's because the elephants in the room, it's, you know, because, you know, um, John Doe and, and Jane Doe are, you know, have a, a long set of baggage and they won't deal with it. And it's the elephant in the room and everybody knows it's a, people call it things like tripwires, uh, third, third, 
third rails. You know, there's a lot of phrases for what it is, landmines. Um, but what it is is, is politics. People saying what needs to be said. People people saying what people want to hear rather than saying what needs to be said. It's avoiding the sacred cow. It's not talking about the elephant in the room because, well, that's never going to get resolved or we can't fix it. Man, the first two years of EOS for us was like, it was like freaking ripping duct tape band aids off your arm every time because it was like okay. Yeah, we've had that thing for like, <laughs> you know, five years, seven, ten years now, 12 years going on. And now, you know, James and Sebastian have to deal with it. Like, we, we can't not deal with it anymore. You know, we have to address it. And, um, you know, it's I think one of the hardest things organizations have, too, is holding leaders accountable. And I've I've made some huge mistakes in 21 years of running this business. I mean, massive, embarrassing, you know, and and um, probably the most. Um, amazing thing was how my people helped me get better and recover from that, not make that same mistake again. Um, you know, and that, that's the other really cool part of it. When you actually get on the other side of implementing a system and having values is, is, um, if you're doing it right as a leader, your people will help you get better because you open the door for them to, um, and, uh, you know, with an Enneagram eight, you generally tend to intimidate people and so people don't like to tell you when you're messing up because you you know you either whatever it's 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 complicated right so you you have to you have to always open yourself up and remind them that you want to hear their feedback you know <laughs> well and, and it's you so. know and, and it is uh you know and it's kind of doubly challenged whenever you have a you know the you know a lot of people that have enneagram eight personalities are described as like oh he's a strong personality or she's a strong personality you know, that in and of itself is challenging, but then also whenever you are the leader, it's like, dude, you're, you know, like, I, I think that a lot of people that are leading companies, it's like, we don't, you know, it's like put our pants on one leg at a time, like everybody else. But it's like, whenever you step into the, in, step into the room, it's like, oh, it's the CEO. Oh, it's the owner. Oh, it's whatever. And it's like, people are, you know, it, it kind of changes the way that people behave around you a little bit. And so, and certainly doesn't encourage very open, direct and communication directed towards you as the leader of the business. So, yeah, that's why I like having a business partner too, by the way. Yeah. Um, because you know, he's, he's not family. He's like family. I mean, he, he and I've been, he and I've been friends since I was 14. Um, you know, but, but man, he calls me out. I remember one time, <laughs> I remember one time I was, you know, because when they're when they're your when they're your business partner, they're on the cap table with you. Even though in the org chart, if they report to you, you know, it's it's a big deal. It's a partnership, and it's not the same. And so he has no fear whatsoever. And he is a he is. I'm a 99 percent visionary on Mark Winter's test. Um, Sebastian's 99 percent integrators, and integrators, you know, inflict pain. They uh, you know maintain organizational discipline. They they have a hard job, really hard job, and he. And he loves doing his job. And we, when we took the test, he tested all the way over here for integrator. I tested all the way over here for visionary. And we went to each other and we said, I do not want your job. And actually, that was just the coolest thing because I see so many visionaries and integrators end up in each other's business and, and a lot of tension and a big sacred cow in the room is that they secretly want each other's jobs and they think they can do it better. I don't want his job and I know I can't do it better than him. And he's the same way with me. And so we've... We like, we love the VI relationship. We love visionary integrator. And, um, I think that's a really big part of it. I remember one time I was walking cause we, we had, um, parking in a lot. I asked all the employees to park 
just a, about a block away, city block. And it's a short, short city block. So maybe it was 100 yards was where the parking lot was by the church instead of parking on the street in downtown Bryan because all the retail stores really needed their parking. And one day I parked in front of the store and, um, and we were going to lunch and we were walking by my car on the way to, to walk into lunch. And he looked at the car and his mouth kind of went like that. And then he didn't say anything. And I looked at him, I said, what? He's like, nothing. I said, you're mad I parked there, aren't you? Like I could just tell. Like he he gave me that look. He looked at the car and he looked at me, and, and he said, "You know what? Yes, yes. I I don't like it. You you said we had to park on the ride. You have to do it too." He goes, "If if one eats rice, we all eat rice. If one eats sushi, we all eat sushi." And I was like, "Damn, bro! Like if I'm like the the boss, I can't park." He goes, "Nope. You need to park over there." And I was like, "All right." Now the funny thing is, I mean. Almost everybody works from home now, so it's not an issue anymore. <laughs> so, we, but, but it's, but you know, for years I, I parked over there and a lot with everybody else because my business partner held me accountable, talked about the sacred, talked about the elephant in the room. And, and it was just that look, you know, and he wasn't afraid to tell me. And, and, you know, the reality is that that went over, I know it went over well with everybody else when they saw me parking right next to him. And, and, uh, it, I was, I had a blind spot to it. And, you know, you know? it's a, and, and it, that is the, that is your culture, you know. It's like the the it's it's not the you know it, it's very important to articulate what your culture is, what you want it to be, to put up the banners and to you know make the signs and put it on the wall. Like that's hugely important. But at the end of the day, it's all of the thousand little tiny decisions that get made every single day. It's the little bitty things that you know add up to what the culture really is, you know. And so it's. Uh, you know, culture is rooted in values, yeah, right? And and, 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 and so you have values and then values are expressed in daily practices. And that's just how you behave every minute to every minute. And that creates a culture. And, you know, look, I still, still mess up. I'm still quick to make decisions, quick to speak, slow to listen. I mean, I still have all those same tendencies, you know, it's just something that you at least uh, get aware of and start talking about and try and get better on. And uh, <laughs> learn to say sorry when you're a when you're a challenger or an ENTP and today you you learn to apologize like you have to. <laughs> so, so how how would you rate your like or how would you correlate your effectiveness as the as the visionary and leader of your business with your own personal self awareness? It's 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 clear from from listening to you talk that you've done. You've looked into this. You've done a lot of work. You've, you know, really dug into like you know who you are, and so how does that correlate to how effective you've been? I've I've been far more effective. It's not a it's not a small number. It's a large number incrementally, and in, um, the the way I I'm and how I've how I've gotten better at dealing with people. And again, I still I still have the same struggles. But it, it, when it makes you aware, then you can start apologizing. That's that's step number one, is to start trying to repair some damage that you've done. Um, and step number two is to try and fix the daily things you do to prevent that. Because there's so many positive things with so many personality types. There's so many great things about so many people. Like a really great on-fire salesperson can transform your company. And... Um, if you can help them mitigate the natural tendencies of really on fire salespeople, and there, there, there definitely are some big t- 
tendencies of them to step on production, to not value the people that are producing the product. I mean, there's some of those things, right? Um, you know, if you can mitigate that, you can, you can, everybody internally can love you and everybody externally can love you and you'll sell more too, because your internal people will help you rather than fighting you on things. And, and I think the same thing goes, um, as, as we adopted a process rather than just following, flying by the seat of our pants every day, when we adopted a process, we got way more efficient and effective, efficient being we did things in less number of steps. Effective means we, we achieve the desired outcome more often. So we have far more discipline as an organization. Um, we have been able to grow in revenue and profit. We've been able to build really cool things. Um, we even sold one of our companies four years ago, kept the people, sold the product, which was a really cool transaction. And, um, you know, that I think being, being aware of how you're wired and how you're made and what your default response to people is can really help you, um, win the hearts and minds of your people more often. And it'll help you build things faster because you have less resistance. I think that, and yeah, I, I, you know, I think that the, you know, both the, you know, the personality typing stuff, and then, you know, you're talking about the, you know, adopting, you know, EOS and adopting a system of running things. I think both of those things are kind of accelerants when it comes to communication, because really it's like, that's, that's what it's all about. And it gives you, it gives you some language that you can use. It gives you, you know, gets you all much more on the same page about what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And it just streamlines how effectively you can communicate with one another. And then also, if you're doing a little self-discovery, you know, accelerates the rate which you can have these conversations with yourself. It gives you some tools, some language, some structure that you can, you know, fit yourself into and say, I'm, you know, these problems that I've been called, you know, been causing all this time, it's because of this. And now I have a way that I can, you know, na- you know, I can name it. If I can name it, then I can tame it, you know. <laughs> well, so I, I do want to just ask you a little bit about your business. I know, so is, you know, I think of kind of my stereotypical, uh, you know, challenger, you know, Enneagram 8 type person. And, you know, it's like, you know, this will not stand, you know, this will not abide. Is that how you got into the insurance business is that you were just like saw the way that things were being uh, done and you were just like, dude, this this just does not work. Yeah, pretty much. I, I do always seek justice. I'm I am I'm pretty classic type there. Um, and um, yeah, the, the thought that people are doing things manually when they could be automated and their lives could be a lot better just bothers me. And so that's why I always really enjoyed building software. Started writing software when I was 11 and 12, kind of in the early middle school phase. And um, my dad bought a computer and my school taught computer science at the same time, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And then I went to an engineering high school that taught basically college level computer science in high school and um, just fell in love with computing and technology. Went to AM, got a degree in accounting, got a master's in MIS, and then started this business building custom software websites uh, for any enterprise. Of course, my first eight clients were all Aggie X cadets. Yep. And then after that, I had to branch out <laughs> of the maroon of the maroon uh, umbrella. But it was um, a lot built built a lot of software for a lot of different industries. And then in 2004, through an Aggie core connection of mine, I, I got in, introduced to my first insurance company, and I started building software for them, and then for their clients, and 
it just parlayed on to building a lot of custom software for policy and claims and insurance management, risk management. And it was a, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, there's just a lot of screwed up stuff in an industry that's been computing for so long. Insurance was a really early mover into computing. So that means they have a lot of really old legacy systems that have to be upgraded and maintained and managed and built and developed. And, and so it provided a lot of opportunity for work. It was a lot of fun, big challenge. You have a big impact on an industry. It's a multi-trillion dollar industry that the whole globe depends on. When, when people can't get insurance, things go really bad. You know, I mean, you're seeing it in Florida right now where insurance has gotten really too expensive for the average Floridian and it's, it's really creating a lot of social problems now. And so insurance is a really surprisingly um, critical industry and it's, uh, it's provided a home to really build a lot of really cool tech. Um, in 2000 and really in 01, when I started, I built a couple of products in my, in my dorm room and then in my apartment um, just, just near Bluebell stadium uh, where the base, where baseball or near Olson. And, uh, Built a bunch of products, tried to sell them. Nothing ever took. And then in 06, um, I'm, I'm from Baton Rouge. A, a, a friend of mine from my dad's from Baton Rouge suggested that I take a bidding system I had built for a different industry and apply it to construction. And we did, and it really took off. It's called Smart Bid. And um, when we sold that 12 years later, we had a quarter million companies using it every week and 10,000 construction projects bidding through it every week and, you know, 20 time zones, <laughs> three languages. I mean, it was really cool. And um, we had projects in Dubai and Hong Kong and London and all over North America. And, I mean, it was super cool. We built a really widely used product. And um, in 2018, it was time to sell that. So I sold it to a competitor of mine and um, kept almost all the people. Um, and we, we repurposed them and decided to go all in on insurance and only do insurance because until that point, we'd been construction and insurance. And we uh, sold the you know construction part and then really focused in and narrowed down um, kind of along the way as part of publicity efforts. I built a the really I, I would call it the original construction technology podcast. I think it was um, we but we still have the most listeners of any construction tech podcast I know from a numbers perspective. And I actually just stepped down as host of that after seven years. I, I handed it off to one of my co-hosts. It's called the Content Crew. And um, we racked up about a million listens of that podcast, um, which was super fun. And then we built a we built a six city road show we did over five years, where we visited six cities, and our listeners came and hung out with us for the day. And we had all these speakers and technologists, and we had twenty five sponsors for each one. And we had one hundred and twenty five attendees, and I mean, it was it was bananas. Like how much fun we had, essentially building a media brand um, that was wrapped around driving usage of our products. But um, did a lot of speaking. I keynoted probably 400 construction conferences, and um, I've, I've spoken in a ton of insurance ones too. And so we've ended up building a few different things, but the long and short of it now is it's all enterprise software for insurance companies, whether it's stuff we get paid by the hour to build or whether it's one of our two products. So now that you have, like, niched down and you know, consolidated yeah. from, you know, used to, you know, it used to be used anything, to be anything. And, then, and it was know, construction and insurance, and now it's just commercial. So, so uh, is business more or less fun now that you have niched down and gotten, you know, zoned yeah. in on your one target? Um, I've had the pleasure of of talking with Gino Wickman a few times, and and um, 
you know, emailing back and forth with him and, and his email signature, he's the guy that wrote traction for EOS and, uh, for the listeners. I know, I know you know that, but, um, um, he always signs off with stay focused. Yeah. That's his signature. So and quick aside is that I, uh, so I, I met Gino at, uh, the com at the EOS conference a year or two ago, whatever. And I had, I had him sign the, my, my copy of traction and I don't remember what I asked him. I, you know, made some little joke to him. It's like, yeah, sign it as whatever. And he says, I only sign it one way. And it says, stay focused, Gino Whitman, you know? And so that is the, um, yeah. So I, I, I understand. And that's not surprising. That's his sign off, but anyway, please go ahead. So. Yeah. Well, no, but it, it really challenged that level um, and we talked about that a lot with my EOS implementer, Ken DeWitt from Birmingham, Alabama. And and um, Ken always said, do less better. Gino says, stay focused. And um, and so the, the, the short answer is, I am far happier being far more focused. Um, it, it turns out it's actually really stressful to operate in multiple niches uh, because you have to become an an expert you at least you need to be an expert in what you do i mean it helps well, I mean, <laughs> to and, know and i also think it kind of depends on what your goals are i mean right it's like look you can you know the you know i mean i like i don't know about you but it's like i've got you know a handful of hobbies right you know it's like i play golf i you know you know do you know play golf i do you know like you know hang out with you know friends and i you know read and i you know just kind of create, you know, little, you know, drawings and stuff like that. But it's like, I'm not great at any of like the things that I do. Right. But I don't care. I'm not trying to be like, I don't need to be great at golf. I don't need to be whatever, but it's like in business, it's like, I don't think many of us start companies to say like, Hey, I want to just be okay at this. It's like, if you want to be great, then all of those things become much more of a distraction. Well, you got to be great at something, right? So like you look at, you know, chicken fingers, we're both Aggies. So let's talk about Lane's chicken fingers or, you know, you have, you know, Raisin Cane's blew up, went all over the country, right? Um, they're out of LSU, Lane's A&M. And, you know, both of them are obsessive about one thing that's frying chicken. Now they don't care who their customer is, right? Cause it, you know, you look at the demographics on people who buy fried chicken, it is all over the board, right? I mean, it is my kids love fried chicken. I love fried chicken. I mean, a lot of people love fried chicken. So, you're not niching yourself that way, but you are niching yourself in that, doing that one thing. And you can, you can niche yourself in what you manufacture. You can niche yourself like we do. We only write software. We could say that's our, our niche, but I'll tell you this. It's really difficult to just to write software and not have an industry niche because, because then you have to learn every industry. If you're going to write software, you really need to understand what you're writing software for. Right. And, and that's, that's where there are certain businesses that it really helps if you really focus. Now I will say this, I really miss, I, I fell in love with construction I, I, and, and we still have a lot of construction companies that use our insurance products. Right. But it's not the, the same as having a purely construction operations system that we, we sell. And so I really miss that, but the focus allows us all to learn this core set of skills, get really good at understanding our messaging, really good at understanding who we're selling to, really good at understanding the problem statement. And I think that's like all companies exist to solve a problem. I mean, they do. And now the problem could be that there's a government regulation requiring your company, which is, um, I guess, a wonderful problem yeah, yeah, state yeah, yeah. to be in because then you're, you know, but, 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 um, you know, most of the time it's that, you know, something's screwed up and they need you for something, right? Or, you produce a part that you produce a part or an item that's critical in the manufacturing, whatever they're building. 
So, I mean, all businesses serve to solve problems. And I, so I think it helps if you understand the problem statement, which is why focus is allowed allowed me to be more effective has really helped has been a lot of fun and um our two products and our services are all geared around the same audience and so i can i can have a really great conversation with anybody about you know hey you don't want to build your own software well use terra it's our it's our policy and claim software if you don't if you don't want to buy terra or smart compliance you know we have custom devs that can help you so you can have that conversation with everybody and you have you have some you know two or three things to sell them uh, it can be really, really nice. And we have, now we have multiple clients that buy everything we make. And uh, that's really exciting. And, uh, you know, the the focus I think is, uh, has definitely been rewarded and it allows us to really focus in and dial in how we train our people too. Yeah. Well, you know, what's always fun is being great and it's easier to be great at something if you, you know, if you stay focused. But, it's hard to be a jack of all yeah, trades. Yeah. People do it. People people do it, but it's it's it hard. Is, yeah, you and, know? and I think that it's you know also kind of understanding a little bit of that, um, you know, kind of the self discovery that we were talking about before of just like understanding what it is that you is not as a company but as an individual bring to the table and recognizing that there are some situations where that's going to be you know highly valuable and then others where it might not it actually might be unhelpful to bring those skills to the table. So, well, I I really appreciate all of the you know, all, all of the wisdom that you've shared. And th- this is something that I always like to ask, especially for, you know, you, you have been on quite a journey, right, as an entrepreneur. And you, you hear a lot of the stories of people when they're first starting out, like you said, it's like, you know, the, the nature of what you were doing early on is very different than the nature of the work that you were doing now as the, you know, visionary of this company that has hundreds of employees that you've been doing for 21 years. So, what is something that you were doing now that you have started doing recently that if you could go back and have that conversation with, you know, like what would you have encouraged yourself to start doing earlier that maybe your younger self would have said, no, that's like for the big shots. No, I'm not, I haven't arrived there yet. No, this is not, you know, for the, you know, budding entrepreneur. This is for the people who have already, you know, quote unquote made it. You know, what, what is something you could go back and tell that guy? It's like, you know what? No, like you need to start doing this now. Uh, I would have gotten coaching a lot earlier. Um, my dad was my first mentor, advisor, and business partner. Um, you know, and he taught me everything he knew, but I, I really could have used an unrelated <laughs> yeah. coach uh, to help me process. And, and it really, at the end of the day, is not that expensive compared to the revenue they can help you bring in by becoming more effective. So coaching... Um, is really important. Uh, getting in with mentors faster and earlier, I would I would definitely go back and recommend that to myself. And also, I I derive a incredible amount of value out of clearing my schedule routinely. Um, I I I've had a really busy twenty one years, and I've traveled probably um, since I started doing a lot of speaking and hitting conferences and. You know, there's hundreds of those that I've been to. I was traveling about 130 days a year for um, seven, 15 years, and that's an in, that's an incredible amount of travel. I mean, you're talking about going like diamond platinum on the airlines and diamond platinum on all your hotels um, and being gone a lot. So, I uh, I didn't learn how to boil down what I really needed to do. I took a bit of a shotgun approach because I didn't know how to measure the results well enough. 
And so you end up very busy, but not always very productive. Um, and the learning how to say no and cut things down and evaluate opportunities, I think is something that will occasionally lead you to miss an opportunity because you have to say, you, you have to say no to that third trip in a, in a week in a row. And you're like, no, I need some time to focus and to work. I can't travel a hundred percent. And by the way, my kids are super angry at me now and don't want to see me. Right. Cause I have two daughters and you know, they're teenagers. They want their dad at home. So that's the, um, that's the thing I would go back and, and talk about coaching and mentoring and then, you know, being really balanced with your calendar, just even in the most hectic of startup times. And I think a lot of startup, a lot of startups and I'm bootstrapped. I never took outside money. So, um, I think a lot of startups, whether they're bootstrapped or funded, they feel the same pressure and, um, they, they tend to want to do everything for everybody and they tend to want to try everything all at once and they tend to want to run at a, at a burnout pace. And, um, those all end pretty yeah. poorly. Well, <laughs> so, you know, it, I, I heard somebody say once that, you know, it, entrepreneurs don't, you know, entrepreneurial companies don't die of starvation. They die of indigestion. You know, it's, you, you, you that's, that's where the, most of the challenges come in is that I, you know, your, your comments about staying focused and all that. It's like, I, I don't think that when I've looked at people and talked to my friends who have had a lot of really big challenges in business and, or maybe had companies that didn't work out, none of them have ever told me, it's like, you know what the problem was is that we were just way too focused on this thing. You know, it's always like, well, we tried to do a hundred things really well. And, you know, we really couldn't do that led us to doing none of them, you know, even at a rate at a level that the market would accept and reward us for. So, yeah. And, and you look at companies that you really admire and they have the, the ones I admire the most have the most focus. I mean, let's go through a couple of them. Southwest airlines, like brilliantly focused on their business model. Right. I mean, really, really focused on who they are. They, they, they acquired a company and got rid of their first class cabin because they only do coach. We're not changing that model. We only use the 737 because of parts and maintenance. You know, they have they have a they have a very specific playbook and they're very focused. And it's uh, it's remarkable. The, the results when people are very specific about what they do and how they do it and how focused they are. And they say no a lot to a lot of other things, you know, and you look at Chick-fil-A. Uh, one of the companies I respect the most. Now I eat there a lot, but only because they sell salads and grilled chicken now. Because <laughs> I, but but I mean, what remarkable focus they have, what remarkable adherence to their plan, what great training and what great set of core values. You know, they know who they are and where they're going, what they're doing, and they sell more per store than anybody else in the food business per square foot. I mean, so you, you can look at airlines and food and you can look at professional services companies. You can look at like Zappos on shoe delivery. Of course, they're acquired by Amazon, but they, they did shoes. And they did it extremely well and they sold a lot of shoes and they were very focused and they did innovate. You know, those, those are all companies I've really respected and I try to, I want us to to be focused and passionate, have a way that we do things and, and, uh, and execute really well. Um, and, and we're getting there on several big parts of our business. We're really getting there to where we, we really just, we execute really well and we're bringing up really great leadership in the ranks now that are, 
that are running and getting accounts, being the account manager, which is a big deal in our company, or product. If you're an account manager or product manager, you're you're right there, leading stuff. And you know, we're we got some young folks that are stepping into those roles and are doing a great job. And that's that's probably the most exciting thing to me is to see how how they can how you can replicate that success, and it's not just you anymore, um, or your or just you and your leadership team, but it's this whole rank of managers that exist underneath the leadership team that are just killing it on a daily basis and are proud of who they are and what they do and how they do it, buy into the culture. They, they get rid of bad people. They bring in good ones, you know, and they, they run, they run that business. Like it's their business. That's, that's probably like the coolest thing ever. It's, it's, it's as cool. And I'm a pilot. It's as cool as taking off and landing a plane, man. It's like that cool. It's a lot of fun. It's super exciting. Um, and seeing people, you know, grow and get promoted and succeed with you is, is really fun. And, and knowing that you're hopefully creating a work environment that doesn't destroy their personal life. And that's something I, I think, I think about a lot, like does how we treat people, cause I, I don't shy away from applying pressure to people or challenging them or debating. But at the end of the day, if you, if you cross the line, you got to call them and talk to them, make sure that they know that they're still loved because you have the power as a boss to really make someone's life miserable you have the power to really motivate them and you have the power to send them home motivated to be a good member of their family or send them home keyed up and tuned up to go and wreck yeah. some things. You know, I mean, we spend, most of us spend more time with the people we work with than we do our own friends and family. You know, I mean, it's just, and so, uh, well, dude, it's, it sounds like you're creating an, an amazing environment. Yeah. Dude, trying well, to, it, it's, we're trying, we're trying uh, to, <laughs> and it's a never ending process. You know, it's, it's like, and that's one of my, uh, the, the reason I, the reason I love doing this is that it's like, I know that we'll never be done, man. We'll never be finished. We can all, there's always going to be something else that we can continue to you know, yeah. improve and grow. Well, yeah, well, I took all these lessons. I put them all into a book that gets published later this year. So if you want to read it, it's called, it, it's called be your own VC, uh, how to, how to, how to generate cash and keep control. Uh, 10 bootstrapping principles. And so it's just kind of like my top 10 bootstrapping lessons. Um, my dad would not let me work for him and he wouldn't let me step into his businesses. He sold them <laughs> before. And then uh, he, he made me start my own and he, and he provided the few thousand dollars that it, uh, in a loan that it took to get it started. And, uh, we, uh, we rocked and rolled, uh, and he taught me a lot. So I encapsulated everything I took from him and everything I learned along the way. And, tried to boil it down into 50,000 words. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, uh, it hits by, I think in October, November, our publisher will be dropping it. Um, awesome. So man. that's you can check super that out. exciting. And so if people want to, you know, kind of follow you, you know, you, are you on LinkedIn, Instagram, like where do you hang out? I'm on everything, everything except TikTok Cause I don't trust <laughs> TikTok. Um, so I'm on, uh, I'm really active on LinkedIn, James M. Benham or just James Benham. You'll, I, I should be uh, near the he's top the guy on that with one. The, he's the guy uh, with also the tiger have, in his, uh, in his, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Go tigers. Um, it, it also my website is james and, uh, the company website is jbknowledge.com, but james You can find out more information about me and you can get more info about the book that's going to drop. You can download a little booklet that we published on the website as well, uh, on james and then Hit all my social media accounts, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm on all of them. Well, dude, it sounds like I trusted you're going to be – you've been a great conversation, and I trusted you're going to be a great follow on all of those platforms. And so uh, once again, man, thank you so much for, for joining us, sharing your stories. 
Uh, to all of our listeners out there, thank you very much for listening. I hope that you took as much from this conversation with James as I did. And appreciate you listening, and I hope that you will join us again next time. Thanks, James. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, Travis.